felt like Batman. It's really cool. Hey, uh, I'm so thankful to be with you guys. If you don't know me yet, my name is Ty. I'm one of the pastors here. My job is to yell at you about what the Bible says. I love it. I'm anointed to do it. It's super cool. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be verses 17 through 27, and we're going to today. Today, we're going to talk about treasure. It's going to be rad. Um, before I get into this, I just want to say I've really enjoyed this series, this all-in series. I think it's a great way to start off the year, just reminding ourselves that we need to be all in with Jesus. That Jesus is having the DTR talk with each one of us. And he's saying, hey, um, I don't want to just be casual about this. Let's be all in. So it's been great. That's kind of the context of the series and the context of this message. And I think I've bought us enough time. Uh, if you haven't got a chance, we have the QR code with the Bible uh, plan that you can follow along with your notes. But otherwise, they'll be on the screen. And if you're there, say there. Good enough. We'll do it. Starting in verse 17, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it? For the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them, but Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who is who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at him intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Amen? Let's pray. God, right now, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for this very loving and tender but hard word. God, I thank you that even in the scripture, it says that when the man said this, that you looked at him with genuine love. God, I pray as we hear about letting go of ourselves and going all in for you, God, I pray that you would stir an affection in us, God, that this wouldn't be something that we have to do, but God, something we get to do. We get to be followers of the King of Kings, of the Lord of Lords, of the Master of this universe. God, we thank you for what you've done, your faithfulness, as we sang in the last song. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to talk about three questions that this scripture answers for us today. And the first one is this. Who is Jesus? Before we get into who is Jesus, I think we need to give a little context to who is this man having a conversation with Jesus. See, this man is wealthy and powerful. And if we're honest, that's two things that you and I, to some degree, aspire to be. If I were to take a poll this morning and say, would you rather be powerful or powerless? If we're honest, all of us would be, I vote powerful. I'd rather be powerful than powerless. Do you want to be poor or rich? I'd rather be rich than poor. I think that's kind of a given. See, this man is the kind of man back then that would be admired. He'd become a celebrity. 
He is the kind of person that would be emulated both then and today. And this conversation, he reveals his estimation of himself. See, he doesn't say, Jesus, what do I have to experience to have eternal life? What do, what, what do I need you to do? But he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? His question basically is, hey, Jesus, how can I save myself? What religious work do I need to do? Which large check do I need to write? What sacred pilgrimage do I need to take? In addition to all the great things I've already done, how can I add to my resume? He saved himself. See, he comes to Jesus and he's, he comes arrogantly. He doesn't come with humility. He comes with all of the things in his hands that he's accomplished, saying, Jesus, what do I need to do to prove how worthy that I am? And see, Jesus plays his game for a little bit because he goes straight to the Ten Commandments. In the Old Testament, in the first five books alone, that's called the Pentateuch, there are 613 commandments. It blew my mind. I'm like, man, I'm doing a bad job because I can't, I can't name even 100 of those probably. But there's 613 commandments in the first five books of the Bible alone. And see, what God does is he summarizes these commandments in Exodus chapter 20 in what's known as the Ten Commandments. So this guy says, hey, I know the Ten Commandments. I'm Jewish. I've grown up with them, and I've obeyed them since I was little. What he's basically saying is, no, Jesus, I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty dang close. In fact, if you ask the people around me, they'd probably think I was perfect. I'm about as close to perfect as you're going to find. And when he comes to Jesus, he gives away his view of who he thinks Jesus is. He says, Jesus, you're a good teacher. And see, here's the problem, is many people in this world want to make Jesus simply a good teacher. We want to make him another Gandhi or Martin Luther King or a Mother Teresa. He's a good teacher. He's a good leader. He's lived a good life. He's helped people. He's a fantastic example. He's not a savior, but he's a good example. And see, here's what Jesus does. He immediately corrects him. And see, Jesus desires to do that same correction in each one of us. So I beg you, don't do as this man did. Don't answer your phone in church. It's bad. Don't do as this man did. Don't try to reduce Jesus to someone that he's not. Don't try to make Jesus fit into your box. See, Jesus is a good teacher. He really is. In fact, he's probably the greatest uh, teacher in the history of the world. He probably got employee of the month quite a bit. But he's far more than simply a good teacher. He's also God who became a man. See, Jesus says in his own words, don't call me good unless you think I'm God. Because only God is truly good. See, we as humans, we love to think of things in like shades of gray. We love to put things on a scale because I think it makes us feel pretty good about ourselves. You know, we think there's some really bad people. There's some pretty bad people. There's some not too bad people. But then there's some pretty good people and really good people. And we like to think of people somewhere on this spectrum. But here's the problem. God doesn't have a sliding scale. God only has two categories, sinner or sinless. And here's the thing. Jesus alone is the only sinless person in this world. He's the only one in that category. See, Jesus isn't simply the best among us. He's not simply a good man. He's the God man. He's not a philosophy prophet from some university throwing around moral truisms, but no. 
He's here to atone for the sins of the world. See, if this man had gone to any other religious leader, both then and now, he'd get a lot of, don't do this, do this, do all these things, and you can save yourself. But that's not what Jesus says. That's not what Jesus says. All right, so who is Jesus? My second question is this. What is an idol? See, Jesus looks at this man and says, one thing you still lack. He's going to go from playing this game directly to the heart of the Ten Commandments. See, the guy may say things like, I haven't stolen. Some of us would say the same thing. I, I'm not a thief. I don't steal. But do you become jealous when other people have something you don't? Then Jesus says you're guilty in your own heart. See, I've never committed adultery. I don't cheat on my spouse. But Jesus says, have you ever lusted after somebody that's not your spouse? Because then you've committed adultery by intent. See, yes, God cares about our actions. He cares a lot. But God also cares a great deal about our motivations. The ends don't justify the means when it comes to Jesus. See, Jesus sees this man's heart and mind clearly, just like he sees our heart and mind clearly. See, outwardly, we may keep the Ten Commandments, but we're not keeping the spirit of the Ten Commandments. See, I can come up to you and say, hey, I love my wife. I take, I take her on a date every week, but... You're like, yeah, but when we see you, you're on your phone the whole time. You're watching the game. She's trying to connect with you, and you're just like, hey, I'm taking you on your date. That's enough. And see, I may do the duties. I may check it off my list, but my wife doesn't feel loved. I'm not showing love. I'm not connecting emotionally. And most of us, we come with that approach to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I'm checking this off my list. I'm showing you I love you. But the, the real connection that those things are supposed to bring aren't really there. Martin Luther is famous for saying this. Really, there are two commandments and then implications and applications of those two commandments. And the first two commandments are these. The first commandment is there is one God alone. The second commandment is you are only to worship that God alone. See, if this, if this man were to walk into... Um, any like behavioral modification psychologist today, they would simply ask him, tell me about your life. And he'd say, hey, my business is doing really well. I don't have any addictions. I don't have any sexual sins. I don't have a gambling problem. I'm really healthy and I'm really rich and powerful. And the counselor would say, hey, I know all I need to know. I don't think we need a follow-up appointment. You have a great and fantastic life. You have no addictions. You have no destructive compulsions. You're not harming anyone. In fact, here, take the piece of paper and pen. You should be counseling me. See, we as people, we love to evaluate people on their outward moral behavior. And if they're not behaving rightly, we simply want to fix their behavior and change it. And here's the problem. Jesus isn't trying to change this man's behavior. He's trying to change his God. And that's a lot deeper and it has nothing to do with his addictions that he doesn't have or any of these other things. He's simply saying, you have all these things, but yet you're still worshiping the wrong God. See, if we commit adultery, our problem isn't some sexual act. Our problem is that we're worshiping the wrong God. Maybe we're worshiping pleasure or convenience or something else. But as a result of this false worship, we commit idolatrous worship known as adultery. See, if we're someone that likes to overeat, our problem isn't food. Our problem is that we worship food. 
When we're sad, we go to food for comfort. When we're happy, we go to food to rejoice. When we do something good, we want to reward ourselves with food. See, Paul even talks about it in some of our reading recently. He says that our God is our stomach. See, we don't worship God. We worship food. See, as people, we simply want to get in there and change somebody's behavior. We're going to give you some principles. These are going to help you. And we're going to change your idol. And yeah, that's not ideal, but here's, here's the great thing. You don't worship food anymore. Now you simply just worship control. And because we've exchanged your idols, we have good news. Now you have an idol that the rest of us prefer. We enjoy it. Thank you. Good job. See, John Calvin says this, that our heart, the human heart, is an idol factory. That we simply go from one idol to the next. And sometimes we just exchange those idols, and sometimes we get a new idol to help us control the one that we really love. See, Jesus is not about behavior modification. He's about worship alteration. Jesus says, let's find your idol, and let's not look at the behavior that you're bragging about. See, this man comes and he says, I feel like I'm a pretty good person. I don't have any massive problems. I'm not out of control. And Jesus says, that's awesome. Let's lift up that rock of pride, and maybe we'll find something there. See, he was his own God. And if we're honest, that's who most of us worship today, too. We worship ourselves. We walk up to people and find ways of saying, look at my success. Look at my achievements. Look at all all I've accomplished. Look at my possessions. Look at everything that I have done. It's pretty fantastic, isn't it? See, and the problem is we do all of this for our glory and not for God's glory. See, idolatry is simply this. It's often a good thing that becomes a God thing because we put it in the wrong spot. It's a good thing that's in a bad place. See, we take something that the Lord's given us and we begin to functionally make it a substitute Lord. Everyone here, everyone on this planet is a worshiper. We were created to worship 24-7. We pour ourselves out to someone or something that is essentially the central of everything we do. See, worship is just acts of sacrifice. We sacrifice our time and our health and our money. We say no to some things because we idolize something else. See, here's the problem, though. Idols promise something that only the kingdom of God can ultimately provide. Jesus transitions here from the commandments, and he begins to talk to this man about the kingdom of God. He says this, I promise you, if you give up your idols, you will find what you're seeking in the kingdom of God. See, this man is worshiping his possessions. Why? Because it gives him status with other people. Jesus says, let go of your status. Let go of your idol. Let me give the status that lasts forever. See, idols give us identity. We go around saying, I'm beautiful. I'm pretty. Don't laugh at that. I'm smart. I'm funny. I'm successful. Or some of us, honestly, we walk around saying, I just just don't care. And that in itself is still an identity. See, idols want to promise us comfort and peace and security meaning, value, purpose, fun, identity, and community. But here's the problem with idols. They over-promise and they under-deliver every single time. See, he worships himself 
because he cares about his status and comfort and what others think of him. See, Jesus looks at him and says, you don't think you've broken any of the Ten Commandments? Okay, here's a simple test. Then sell all of your stuff and give the money to the poor. Give up your stuff and have me become your treasure. Are you willing to live a simpler lifestyle and downsize to follow me, your homeless God? See, it says the man left this conversation and he was sad because he was extremely rich. You know what that means? Jesus found his idol. I have a question for you. What would you be unwilling to give to Jesus if he asked you to give it up for him? What do you cling to as you walk away from Jesus grieving because he found your idol? See, many of us, if I were to ask you that, you'd say, I don't know, because we've never been in a situation in this world where we've noticed our idol because it's safe. We've never had to, had to fear losing it. We live in a pretty comfortable world. So some of us may say, I, I, I don't think I have an idol because it's safe and secure. And because of that safety and security, we're unaware. But as soon as the idea of that thing even gets remotely talked about being gone, we begin to lose control. I don't have any sin. I don't have any adultery. My life's not motivated by sin. Then sell your stuff. Give the money to the poor. See, today that would be the equivalent of Jesus saying, take your car and all your clothes and all your technology, your furniture, and put it on eBay and give the money to someone who needs it. Downsize your standard of living and upgrade your standard of giving. Take the bus and follow me. And many of us, if we were honest, we'd say, yeah, that would be pretty hard, right? That would be pretty hard, just being honest. But here's the thing, guys. Here's four things that we need to know about idols. Number one is this. Idols consume our life as we pursue them. They consume our lives. See, idols need to be worshipped like God because they ultimately, they want to replace God. See, for many of us, what that looks like is we can't stop working. we got to work. We can't stop eating. We can't stop drinking. We can't stop gambling. Or for some of us, maybe we can't, we can't, we can't be single. We've always got to be dating somebody. Idols want to consume us. See, the second one is this. Many of us that come to church and call ourselves Christian, ultimately all we're trying to do is manipulate God into giving us our idols. You worship money? Come to our church where God will bless you and make you rich. You want to be healthy? Come to Jesus and he'll make you healthy. You're single and you want to be married? Come to Jesus. He owes you a spouse. See, here's the problem with that, guys. Usually an idol wants to take the place of God and the real God that we serve cannot be manipulated. He won't be. Number three, if we do get our idols, if we have it in our hands, we become so consumed with keeping it. We'll do anything to keep it. Maybe you're a student and you worship your 4.0 grade point average and you say no to everything, you drop all your friends, you drop your job, you drop going to church, you do all these things because you've got to maintain your, your grades because you worship your success and your accomplishments and all these things, your achievements, and you're consumed by it. You're consumed by it. You use all these things that you want to use as social status and ironically you give up 
social status, pursuing the very thing you thought would give it to you. The last thing, the fourth thing is this. If we lose our idol, we become devastated and destroyed. We look at God and say, how dare you? See, Jesus says to this man, give away your treasure. And the man says, I am grieved. And Jesus says, I'm grieved too because I'm supposed to be your treasure. See, guys, we should have a treasure, but our treasure should be Jesus. John, Jonathan Edwards is famous for saying this, if you idolize one thing, you'll demonize the other. If you idolize your spouse, if you take pleasure in the fact that this is like the greatest person in the world, they complete me, here's the problem. Eventually, they're going to disappoint you because your spouse makes a terrible God. If you idolize your home or your job or your car or your standard of living or peace and comfort, security, fun, pleasure, whatever it is, they're ultimately going to fail you and you'll end up demonizing them. You'll hate everything that disappoints you. See, and here's the real thing. The problem isn't those things. It's not those people. It's not our stuff. It's our heart. It's our heart. See, and this is the hard conversation that this man is having with Jesus. He walks up smiling, saying, my life is fantastic. You want to see my car? You want to see my awesome home? You want to see my cool friends? I so appreciate the life that God's given me. And Jesus says, sell your stuff. Well, Jesus, now I'm very sad because you're talking about me giving up my, my Ford F-350 and driving a beater car. People are going to not think and look at me the same way. If I downsize, I'm going to be in a different social class and I really like the food and the drink at those parties. See, I've worked hard for this, Jesus. I've achieved this. I've accomplished it and I deserve it. And Jesus simply looks at him and says, is it me? Or is it your stuff? And the guy walks away saying, good luck with that, Jesus. You're homeless. What do you even understand about stuff? And if we're honest with ourselves, we'd probably say the exact same thing. The last question I want to answer is this. Is Jesus your treasure? See, one of the surest ways to find your idols is to follow your money, to follow your wallet. See, because where your, the Bible says where your money is, is where your heart is. I love the Lord. I just don't want to give anything to him. That's crazy. That'd be like me saying, I love my family, but I'm not going to feed them. They're fine. I love single mothers, but I got to have a boat and a golf game. I got to have nice tools in my garage. I got to have the biggest flat screen TV. Guys, I just don't have any extra. But don't you judge me. Don't you judge me. You don't know my heart. See, here's the problem. I do know your heart because I followed your wallet. And your wallet is an indicator of your heart. You, here's another thing, because uh, I'll just be honest. I came from a pretty poor uh, background, single mom, didn't get a chance to graduate high school, had, had a couple of kids. Like, I get what it's like to be poor. And I can guarantee you from my experience, you don't have to be rich to be obsessed with money. You don't have to be because you can be very poor and obsessed with money. You could be playing the lotto all the time. You could be trying to do uh, make it rich quick schemes. You can be uh, doing things that are illegal to make a little extra money. You can always be thinking about money, never being generous with anyone and always being jealous and coveting others that have money. 
Here's something else that's really important to understand. Jesus isn't saying to everyone, sell everything because the less you have, the closer you are to God. That's not what he's saying. See, that comes from something called Platonic dualism. And it's like a philosophy from ancient Greek. That's not the teaching of the Bible. See, the Bible says that every good gift comes from God. So what would have happened if this man looked at Jesus and said, okay, I'm going to sell everything I own. We have no idea because he wouldn't do it. See, and after this, this is my favorite part, and I can't wait to jump into this. After this, Jesus whips out some sarcasm. And I know what some of you are saying. Isn't, isn't sarcasm a sin? Like, can Jesus be funny? He can be, and he is. It's hilarious. See, a Canadian researcher named Marshall McLuhan said this. The median is in the message. And what that means is how you say something is how people are going to remember what you said. So how do we think Jesus said this to him? Was he angry like a Mr. Burns from the Simpsons type guy? Idolatry. Sell your stuff. Give me your money. What are you doing? Or maybe we think he was like an IRS audit. I come from the kingdom of God. And I've noticed there's some certain assets you did not put up. And we're here to claim those things and collect. See, when Jesus says it's easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle than to get than for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven, religious commentators had a really, really hard time with this because they don't think that Jesus is wit, like witty or has humor or irony or sarcasm. So they all like conducted this meeting. They put on their fancy suits and they sat around going, hmm, what could this mean? And then, you know, the, the leader of them had a special hat because I like hats and that's what he did. And they all the commentators got together and they said, Hmm, well, maybe there is this wall in Jerusalem, and then maybe we open a doorway, and we call that doorway the eye of the needle, and we send a camel through, and they're going to shimmy, you know, shimmy their way through this hole of the wall. Don't record that. Take it down. Um, and maybe the camel gets through the wall, and that's what that means. How many of you guys have heard that? Here's the problem with that. There's literally no evidence of that ever. It's like unicorns and honest politicians. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. See, Jesus here is simply telling a joke. And the people back then would have understood it. But sometimes, because of our cultural differences, we don't understand the irony. I'm going to finish up here as the band comes back up. He wasn't making fun of the guy. I want you to understand that he wasn't humiliating that. He wasn't trying to put him down. But he was inviting the man to take himself a little less seriously. See, there's two ways here that Jesus shows that we can notice our idols. Firstly, we can follow our wallet. Or secondly, we can figure out what's not funny to us. What's not funny to us. See, so here's the big idea. Whatever stands between you and Jesus, you need to get rid of it. And I wish I could, but I don't know what that is for you. It's different for each one of us. The Holy Spirit has to convict your heart. But maybe Jesus would have looked at this guy and said, sell all your stuff, put it on Craigslist, and give your money and downsize and follow me. And maybe this man would have been like Abraham with Isaac, and he would have gone fully prepared to make that sacrifice. And God could have shown up and said, hey, don't. I see that. It's not about your stuff. It's about me. Keep your stuff. It doesn't matter. What matters is you follow me. We don't know. Like I said, we don't know because a guy never did that. But here's what we need to understand. Jesus needs to be our treasure. And the other things that he gives us just needs to be the gifts that he's given us. 
What's standing between you and Jesus? What's standing between you and Jesus? If I were to walk up when I proposed to my wife and hand her the ring, it was it was a really good ring. It was like $150 from Walmart. It was awesome. Um, crazy story. I'll give you a little bit of it so you don't think I'm a, I'm a monster. But um, I was planning on talking to her dad and asking, uh, you know, for his permission to propose. And he's like, hey, uh, will you help uh, give me, uh, help Rachel's grandma or whatever, like help do this with me, hop in the truck. And I was like, sure. And we're just sitting there in silence. He's a pretty quiet guy. I'm a pretty quiet guy. And all of a sudden he just breaks it. He's like, so when are you going to marry my daughter? And I was like, oh, well, I was going to talk to you about that, you know, down the road, but uh, I have every intention of doing so. Is that okay? And he's like, yeah, that sounds great. And he never said another word. So I'm thinking, okay, cool. Like when the time comes, we're good. He asked to talk to me like a week later and I'm like, what did I do? And he's like, hey, just so you know, I've literally told everyone that you're going to marry Rachel. So you might want to propose sooner than you expected because she's probably going to hear about it. Well, I'm like, she hasn't even met my family yet. So I take her down for Thanksgiving. And uh, as she's hanging out with my family, I look at my sister. I'm like, hey, can, it's Thanksgiving. Do you think Walmart's open? She's like, yeah, why? And so I tell her. So we run to Walmart. I'm like, I have $150 in my pocket in cash right now. I can afford that ring. We grab it. Uh, on the way home, we stop. She's thinking, like, what the heck is going on? And I just, I propose right there. And she's, you know, happy. And yes, we get her a better ring down the road. Don't worry. <laughs> it's all good. Um, but if I were to do that and my wife were to take the ring and say, hey, thanks. I want nothing to do with you, but I love this ring. This is a great gift. We'd all think that was weird and strange, right? But so often God gives us a great gift to show his affection with us. And we say, hey, thanks for the gift, God. This is my new God. I don't need you anymore. We give, we push away the gift giver for the gift that he's given us. Guys, don't do that. What stands between you and Jesus? What stands between you and Jesus? Whatever it is, I encourage you. Let's give it away. Let's give it away. God, right now, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for this church. God, I thank you that you, like you said in the scripture, like you love this man so genuinely, God, you love each one of us. God, you come to us pleading, saying, don't make it about these other things. Don't make it about the gifts I've given you. Don't make it about status. Don't make it about anything else. Give up those things and follow me. Make me your treasure. Make me your status giver. Join my kingdom. Follow me. God, I pray that we would give up everything and follow you heart abandoned. That, God, we would solely pursue you. God, that we would take this, this story and we would heed its lesson. And, God, we would make a different choice. That we would gladly give away anything that stands between us and you. God, we love you. God, we worship you. God, glorify yourself in this place. Your name I pray. Amen. Thank you.
Praise the Lord forever. 